if I had to err on the side of, of just having a company or just having a personal brand, I would take a personal brand all day long because the personal brand, the personal brand brings you so many more opportunities. The personal brand is why you can pivot and sell way more than someone who doesn't have one. The personal brand is why when we launch this app, we're gonna be able to have way more traction than somebody who doesn't have a personal brand and doesn't have a podcast and doesn't have connections. Hell, the, my personal brand is why the investors in this app are gonna be all strategic, famous investors that you know so that we can launch it on their platforms. None of that happens without a personal brand. What is keeping you from growing your business to the next level? I'm Jess Bergio, one of the hosts here for Fast Foundations, the podcast. Between the three of us, my co-host Jim, RT, and I have grown several businesses scaling beyond seven figures. And you know what? Not a single one of those businesses came with a blueprint. For years, we poured time and resources into our businesses, from salons, tech companies, and product-based businesses, navigating success and failures on our own. For all of us though, it began to change in 2019 when we found a community of like-minded entrepreneurs and industry leaders to mentor us. That community was Fast Foundations. Just like the mastermind, we're bringing on experts and having discussions to give you tips to not only improve the foundational skill sets you need, but to also fast track your growth. We'll dive into the core pillars of what will make your business succeed. Whether you have a brand new idea that you're looking to turn into a business, or you're already a successful entrepreneur looking to scale, this community is here to take you to the next level. Let's dive in. Chris, real, real quick, can you tell us, like, once you get to that that level, and you, um, a, a few people were talking about, especially this time of year or, you know, a month ago, um, tax like things like quick and easy things that we can do towards the end of the year to save on taxes i i know you have like a slew of different things of like i invest in this so that i didn't have to pay the irs that yeah do you have like a top five of things that have worked for you uh number one do your tax planning proactively not reactively so understand the difference between an accountant and an actual um cfo and or tax planner because a lot of the saving of taxes is done throughout the year. It's not done when you're like, oh gee, I better go make that $5,000 contribution to this IRA before April so that I can still get the, the write-off, right? So that's number one, is be proactive, not reactive. Number two, I think you're looking for something juicier. Invest, find the investments, and this is tough. I'm hesitant to say this because most of these are invite only and you have to be an accredited investor to participate in these. But the blunt answer to your question is, I found tranches of ATMs where whatever I invest, I get to write off 100% of that investment off my taxes in that first year, and then it continues to pay me a big return over seven years of just mailbox money. I've been real big on mailbox money lately. I found a clean carbon investment, same thing, only better. I was able to write off twice my investment because one clean carbon machine was used to leverage another one. So by leveraging debt, I could leverage X number of dollars, write off 2X of those number of dollars, and then give me a return every quarter for seven years after that. But both of those things, the reason why I say I'm hesitant to share those is they're invite only. Those come from my fiduciary, Neil, who's my tax planner, 
But for the clean carbon one, I had to, to beg and fight my way in that one, just like I had to beg and fight my way into the outstanding foods investment. So I think if you take anything away from that, it's put yourself in position to be an accredited investor, to then get into the invitations, to be able to save a bunch of money. So that's number two. Number three, you asked for five. I don't know if I'll get to five. Number three would be make sure you've got an incredible bookkeeper, an incredible bookkeeping system so that you're not missing money that's sitting on the table that you would have been able to write off otherwise. Like just real show of hands, how many of you have one dedicated business account, one dedicated business card, one bookkeeper who then logs everything from those two things into your books and makes sure that your accountant gets them so that you don't miss a single deduction? How many people? Hey, that's pretty good, about a third of the room. If not, this is your wake-up call right now because you're probably missing out on 2x the number of deductions because it's as simple as they weren't spent in one place on one card that your bookkeeper was e able to easily go move it over into QuickBooks. So get that system set up right away. Right there would just double your, your write-offs because you're already spending the money. So I would say those are the, the three things. All right, I was gonna ask you about money mindset, so I have to think of another question. I'm Alessia, by the way. Grateful to be here with all of you. Okay, so the room you were just in, you and Lori, all of you are extremely successful. And I feel like the more successful you become, the more difficult it can be to stay grounded and true to what really matters. So how do you and Lori stay grounded? Did you hear any tips on that in the room you were in? Anything on that note would be great. What a great question. One of the questions, when you remember I said, here's what's working and here's what we're struggling with. One of the things that one of the gentlemen was struggling with was everything is just crushing it right now. Every business is hitting, every funnel is hitting, like everything that this person ever wanted, it's coming true. And as a result, he's become extra busy. And because he's extra busy, every time he walks out of his home office to run to the fridge to get something in between meetings his wife will try and say something to him and he'll snap at her and when he said this is what I'm struggling with who's got some solutions around how to be a better husband when things get busy because I don't want to show up and, and be the person that snaps my hand went up I'm like oh man I do the same thing I'm so glad that you just said that out loud and someone else's hand went up like hey I do the same thing and someone else's hand went up and said, dude, I'm guilty of this too. It's making sure you're around quality enough people where the conversations aren't always about where the next opportunity is in terms of money or success, but more so or at least equal, the conversations are around how do I make sure that I'm doing the right thing by the people that matter while I'm over here doing really big things. And that just comes down to being so strict about who are you letting have an influence on your life? And who are you kind of keeping at an arm's distance because they don't behave or represent themselves in a way that you don't want to accidentally start to take on? I think that's the first part of the answer. 
The second part of the answer is, I would like to say it's something we're doing, but I go all the way back to my mom and dad. They instilled into us like family first, you take care of your family. Um, and they didn't preach it, they, they demonstrated it. The other day, Lori and I were talking about my dad and we're like, we've never heard him complain. We wanna be that way, we don't, I feel like I'm a complainer and it's something I'm working on. I can't think of a time, and I'm not exaggerating. Actually, I saw Nick walk in, and I don't know if he's around the corner back there. I can't think of a time I ever heard my dad complain. He was the first person up in the morning, the first person to come and build a deck for you, the first person to snow blow the, the neighbor's driveway, the first person to um, you know, drop what he's doing and, and be there for you. And not once, not once was it, oh, I'm tired. Not once was it, oh, I don't feel like it. Not once was it, oh, that son of a bitch. Never any, not one complaint that I can remember in the 43 years that I knew him. So while half of the answer is we're very strict about who we let have an influence on us, the other half is we're just flat out lucky that we had the right examples instilled into us growing up. Your dad sounds like my grandpa, by the way. I think it's the Midwest thing. So. It's totally a Midwest yeah. thing. Yeah. Thank you. Hi. Oh, hi. Oh, sorry. Uh, I'm Haley, and I'm grateful, actually, for your daily texts. They are every day awesome, so thank you for that. Um, okay, so what do you or how do you manage, um, like, when business is great and you have all this revenue income and then you or I – have reinvested it back with the faith that like this is going to bring return and then you're like Ooh, uh there's nothing coming in and now you're screwed so what how do you manage that and yeah like you create more money coming in like this is almost what we were talking about before and i know you're like thank you captain obvious but let me expand yeah, <laughs> yeah. it's your duty to go create more revenue and figure out how to have more money coming in because you're doing the right thing if you are deploying all your dollars to go out and fight for you. So, horrible metaphor, but just like in war, when you deploy soldiers, some of them win the battle and some of them die and they never come back. This is the same thing with your soldiers, your money that you are sending out to fight the battle for you. We keep a little more than one year's runway for our, our business expenses and personal expenses liquid every dollar beyond that we deploy mm. and not all of them are winning bets but the ones that are i'm sure glad that i deployed those dollars and it creates this back against the wall necessity like damn it i want to take advantage of this opportunity i want to invest in this thing i better find a way to create more capital because if you didn't deploy them if you just let them sit in an account somewhere and pile up. There's two problems with that. The first problem is it wouldn't create this back against the wall urgency for you to go find another way to create re new, more revenue because you'd feel flush, right? Good's the enemy of great. The other problem is if they're not out fighting for you, what's the purpose of having them? They just sit there slowly evaporating with, with inflation. So we're trained growing up by the banks and by people who loved us, but had no business teaching us about money, that the right thing to do is put as much money into your checking and savings and pay off your home as quick as you can. It's the dumbest fucking advice on the planet. 
keep one year worth of runway. Don't let home equity just sit rotting in your home because your home's gonna go up the same amount whether you owe nothing on it or everything on it, as long as you have a payment that obviously you've got the 12 months runway for. And go deploy every dollar you get to go out and fight for you. And it makes you uncomfortable. I get uncomfortable. We were just talking about there's opportunities I wanna take advantage of that I can't right now, why? Because all my money's deployed. It's deployed in Web3 investments, which are in the tank right now. So I can't go sell some of those investments because I'd be locking in the losses. It's deployed in the stock market and especially in the tech sector. I'm real heavy on tech. I've been dollar cost averaging my way down. Jim and I talk about this all the time. Every single day, every day there's a dip. I dollar cost average my way down. The problem is I can't sell any of that because I'd be locking in losses. Right. So you're planting seeds, as many seeds as you possibly can. And sometimes those seeds are in the ground and you don't get to go dig them up again until they turn into a crop in a year or two years or five years later down the road. But that's what a seed's supposed to do. It's supposed to germinate in the ground and turn into a crop for you one day. All of those seeds kept in the barn in a fucking knapsack aren't gonna do anything for you. Other than make you say, yeah, I don't need any seeds, I got a whole barn full of them. But then as they slowly rot, you're gonna end up with no seeds and no crop. So use this to be the fuel that makes you go out and say, how could I make another revenue source? How could I create more revenue out of what I'm already doing? How could I find more money to go invest or do whatever it is that you're looking to do? And be okay with the losing bets. We once invested in a mastermind, it was $74,000. This was when we were pretty new to masterminds. And it was the worst mastermind I have ever been in in my life. We went to the first weekend, we didn't even go to the other two, we being Lori and I. I mean, everything about this thing sucked. But was it a lost investment? No. Because I learned everything that I would not want to do if I ever ran one myself. And that has paid dividends for years now. So sometimes even your quote unquote bad investments pay off in ways that you never expected. But you gotta look for the payoff. Did it help? Yeah. Okay, yeah. good. You. you guys' questions are like really awesome today. Hi, I'm Stacy. I'm incredibly grateful that you and Lori founded this room and continue to influence the people who make it possible for us to be here. I have a question. I'm about a year into running a business, and I'd like you to kind of expand on this hunch, but I have a feeling that right now human connection is really important. So in terms of prioritizing courses or small group or mastermind, I'm really leaning towards creating, um, I guess, programs that really involve connection and that FaceTime. And do you think that's important, especially at that stage? I'm so glad you asked this. Listen, I've been saying this for a couple of years now, kind of in my inner circle, and now we're seeing it manifest. Yeah. He or she that takes that extra step, that spends the extra money and takes the extra time to go out to all the, the hot spots on a heat map where your audience is and put together small rooms, 25 here, 50 there, 10 there, put together dinners, do those things, they're gonna reap all the benefits of filling their programs like this. Online is crowded. In person, like massive events, is crowded. 
the overhead of doing it in an intimate way, because sometimes on paper it doesn't look as sexy as the big scaled ways, that's the extra mile right now. There's very little competition. Um, I don't know if you guys saw last week my wife and Lindsay Schwartz. Mm -hmm. They took this idea and they're running with it. They found a studio in town and did a live podcast where they recorded two episodes in a row. The studio could only fit 40 people, but to them it wasn't about the size of it. It was about can we physically get in front and connect with our literal listeners? And then can we invite them to ask questions that if you want to know what your people want to know, just ask them. It's like the answers to the test. And can we get content out of it, and video content? Out? They killed so many birds with one stone that night. That's what's working right now. You are a genius for asking this. Book the rooms, get on the airplane, go get in a group of, fi of 15. Get back on the airplane, go to another town, get in front of a group of 25. And people will love you and connect with you and share your intimate setting. And guess what? Now you're marketing online, but they're doing it for you to their audiences. It's everything right now. Clear your calendar and get out there. So I feel like we're in a state, Marina, still. Um, I'm glad it hasn't changed. You know, um, I feel like we're oh, in a state. You don't have to stay who you were yesterday. <laughs> um, I feel like we're in this era of entrepreneurship and there's so much content and coaches and consultants that are like, don't give up, you're doing great, like do all the things, get in the room, like all of the things. You're also an investor. What are things that you would say that are like, hey, like how do you know if the business just sucks? Your idea sucks, like you're not gonna be able to do this, like, like throw in the towel. Do you ever say that to someone? Yes. And, and what are the things that make that? Like, what is, is there a timeline that you're like, hey, like, no. I once heard Mr. Wonderful, you guys know who that is from Shark Tank, Kevin Harry, or yeah, Kevin Harry did? No, um, O'Leary, who wore one of your watches, by the way. How, how dope is that? Um, I once heard him say, if your business hasn't succeeded in 36 months of consistent effort, take it behind the barn and shoot it. I would agree with that mostly. I would agree with that mostly. With a caveat of you also then have to give it at least 36 months of consistent effort. I think where people's business ideas die is they give it a six month effort or a 12 month effort or an 18 month effort or a two year effort. Stuff just takes longer than that. It just does. Mm -hmm. Lori raised capital for light pink in started in January of 2020, I believe. I could be off by a month or so. And then this little unknown thing happened called the pandemic. And then supply chain issues. And then inflation, maybe even hyperinflation. And then everything else crumbled. This has been probably almost three years of trying to get this formulation out 
And then all of a sudden, she woke up one day and her margins were gone because of the economy. And her reward for finally getting on shelves is losing money on every sale. And fighting the um, alcohol licensing board on small, dumb little things. After giving it about a three-year effort, she did her version of taking it behind the barn and shooting it, which is pivoting, same company, rebranding to something that has way higher margins and is in an adjacent space. I think that's the perfect example of giving it enough time and enough consistent effort and not being afraid to pivot when it's starting to drag on too long. Hey, I hope you're enjoying this video. It's RT with Fast Foundations. Head to fastfoundations.com to learn more how you can get in the room and witness these kinds of experiences live. We do two events a year in Scottsdale, two events a year in Denver. Basically, once a quarter, we're in the room with people just like you, going deep on topics just like this. If you want to learn more on how that works and how you can get in the room, again, fastfoundations.com. Check it out. That makes sense. Yeah, that makes sense. And then my other question for that is when it comes to investing in companies, I'm realizing that product companies are, you just get more investment because it's not dependent on that like one human or a bunch of humans. So with that, I am a personal brand strategist. Like I, I literally help people build their personal brand so then they can do all the things that they want to do. The problem with that is now everything is dependent on you. Like your business is dependent on you. So similar to you and Lori, you have your personal brands, you have the masterminds, you have the consulting. For you to scale, like how do you scale that when again it comes down to like you and your energy and your expertise? Like people don't want to hire someone else. They want to they want to attend Cabo because of you. You don't necessarily have to scale that, but you also can, right? I mean, let's take uh, let's take Brendan Bouchard. He's a great example. He started out as the guy that told the story how he got in a car accident and and that car accident made him realize that he had to ask himself, did you live, did you love, did you matter? And then that turned into a, a book and, and that book turned into, he's great at marketing, so some marketing books. And that turned into conferences. He has like eight conferences a year. And there was a time many years ago, um, let's see, this would have been 2019, I believe. 2018, this would have been 2018 that I went to a seminar, this was before I knew him, and he was pulling up his Kajabi, because he had just bought part of Kajabi, and he's like, on the stage, there's 500 people in the, the room, or 1,000 people in the room, he's like, let me, let me just show it, somebody sling this on the screen, he's logging in, and when you log in, what's there? Your, your sales, your homepage, and this was October, and it said 41 million something, something, something. This was just his Kajabi, right? Not all the other things, just his Kajabi. And I remember looking at it being like, holy fuck. This dude has slung that many courses and, and tickets and, and whatnot through Kajabi? That's scaling. That's just a human. So it doesn't always have to be a product. You just have to scale your message to more humans in a way where you're not trading your exact time for their dollar. 
And that has now led into when Kajabi sold, I don't know what his take was of it, but probably had a B in front of it. And the other ventures, his growth day app that he built right now, the valuation on that thing is in the multiple nine figures already. So if you be the personal brand long enough, it brings the opportunities that will be adjacent to your personal brand. And those opportunities are what can scale out of control. Okay, one last question on that. Yeah. Okay, so I have an example of someone that, Jacqueline Johnson, when she was about to sell Create and Cultivate in 2018, she went to get funding and they're like, no, like we're not, we don't want to, we don't want to fund and we don't want to sell because it is dependent on you. And again, I'm an advocate for personal brands. Like that's literally what I do. But so she couldn't sell her company. And so she had to pull herself away and position her company as the go-to, like whatever. And then in 2021, they sold. So like, how do you do that when, how do I explain that it is so important because I do believe it's really important to have a personal brand but also argue that like, actually it could fuck you over in a couple of years if you're like too attached to the business because then people only want you and they don't want the business. But it didn't fuck her over. Look, she stole it. And now she has a really cool VC firm, right? Yeah. All she had to do, these are all stages of awareness. Her stage of awareness was, hey, this is amazing. We're printing money, I'd like to sell this. And then she got feedback. And that feedback was, hey, we're gonna handcuff you to this thing if we buy it. And she's like, no, 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 that wasn't what I wanted to do. I wanted to sell it and go do something else. And so she had to go back to the drawing board, enter a different phase, restructure it so that it wasn't so dependent on her, but instead was a living, breathing brand of its own, and then go find suitors for it. That was only a three-year difference, right? No, not even, like 24-month difference? Yeah. 24 months is a very small period in her timeline of kicking ass. Sometimes it just takes feedback and adjusting and feedback and adjusting. So I, I know that the premise of your question is, oh, she trapped herself by being the personal brand in there. I feel like that's an objection that people have, and I'm trying to understand, like, how do I argue that point? You dig up a few stories, like Brendan, like Jacqueline, and any of your other favorite personal brands that have scaled in, in great big ways to the hundreds of millions, and you demonstrate those stories to them when they bring up those concerns. At the end of the day, if I had to err on the side of, of just having a company or just having a personal brand, I would take a personal brand all day long because the personal brand, the personal brand brings you so many more opportunities. The personal brand is why you can pivot and sell way more than someone who doesn't have one. The personal brand is why when we launch this app, we're gonna be able to have way more traction than somebody who, doesn't have a personal brand and doesn't have a podcast and doesn't have connections and would have to do organic outreach from there. Hell, the, my personal brand is why the investors in this app are gonna be all strategic, famous investors that you know so that we can launch it on their platforms. None of that happens without a personal brand. If you don't have a thriving personal brand, everything else is just tougher. It really is. So I'm a massive advocate of have a personal brand, even if you have to be handcuffed a little bit at first, because the opportunities to scale will reveal themselves down the road, and you might have to adjust, you may not have to, but they'll come.
Hi, Hi. I'm Jeanette. Nice to see you. I'm grateful to be in this room with you and with everyone here. Um, it feels like a lot of entrepreneurs struggle with overworking and with burnout. And I'm wondering if you have any thoughts or advice on how to keep your hard work and your success sustainable. So, so many of us are multi-passionate, high-performing, but reach a level of, okay, I've, I'm doing too much. Um, yeah. Um, it's okay to reach that level. I think everybody's gonna reach that level because you are such a driven person, you're gonna, you're gonna stretch and you're gonna stretch and you're gonna stretch some more and you're gonna wake up one day and say, oh, this sucks, this is not what I wanted to wake up doing. The awareness of that is when you get to make a couple of adjustments and then go back out to battle again. Those adjustments you make over time are things like, oh, I need to prioritize in my calendar the things that fill me up first before I pour out my cup to other people. They are things that are aligned with your long-term goals and your long-term vision. Like if your long-term goal is I want to make sure that my significant other and I are just the tightest duo ever, then you make adjustments to support that long-term goal. It's inevitable that you're gonna reach moments of burnout if you guys are gonna to choose to, to be in this sport. But that's okay. What's not okay is to not make significant adjustments to get realigned. Like when you hit a pothole and your alignment goes out on your, your, your car and you go into the shop and they give you an alignment, you get realigned. It's okay to hit the pothole. It's not okay to not bring it into the shop and to drive on your wobbly ass wheel forever, right? Um, I will tell you, make sure that you are checking in and measuring what matters at all times. Like have a literal way to measure what matters. This is kind of neat. Uh, Jim, you're gonna get to see this. One of the perks of having a tech team is you get to build tech when you think of it. So I was like, man, I want the mastermind to really measure what matters. And I built this app along with Nick. I should really say Nick built it because I said, Nick, here's the idea. Make this happen. And he did masterfully. He went to our tech team and he had them build this app where every month they're checking in on the things both personally and professionally that matter the most to them so that we can look and say, hey, that thing's slipping. Did you see that this is slipping? We gotta talk about it right now. Hey, this thing's thriving. Did you celebrate that it's gone from here to here? If you guys aren't measuring what matters, then you're just gonna get caught up in the minutia of reacting to success or not success. But both of them are gonna lead you down a, a highway of chaos and, and doing things that you don't necessarily wanna be doing. So getting really clear on what matters to you and then measuring it, checking in on a regular basis, I think is the healthiest, best thing you can do. Can I ask you another question? Of course, that's if, why I'm here. If you were building a wellness community for those entrepreneurs who are burning out and struggling, uh, what would be the must-have components you would include in that community for them? A tool for them to measure what matters, and I don't mean go out and build an app, mm -hmm. start a spreadsheet. Do you know where this thing came from? We did a couples mastermind one year, just one year. There's a hundred grand to join, six couples joined, and we did it because it was what we knew we needed that year to force Lori and I to go out and 
do the trips and do the vacations and do the stuff. For, it was when she was first getting started in her, her company and, and I was completely just not happy and misaligned and we're like, we need to do something this year totally different to put us first. So what's better way to do that? Enroll other people to hold you accountable. And then you gotta show up. When we did that, that year, we built a spreadsheet, a simple Google Doc spreadsheet that we sent out to the other couples. Say, hey guys, every month, let's jump on Zoom. Let's rate these things before we jump on Zoom. And then let's talk about, hey, where are we winning and, and what's slipping and, and what advice do you have for each other as couples? That was the, the seed that turned into this app that we built for the mastermind coming up. The reason I share that is it's just a simple ass Google Doc. You can do that. So build a tool, make the measure what matters, make the commitment enough where they have to show up for it. We charged 100,000 bucks for the couples so that they wouldn't not show up. There's, okay, this September I went to um, Italy and it was one of these trips that my friend Rob Mercatory puts on. That trip was $50,000 just for the one trip. We spent the 50 grand not for the trip. We spent the 50 grand to make sure we'd follow through with going because guess what? We almost didn't go. Lori and I are notorious for booking a trip but not getting on the plane or booking the weekend but then just staying in the house. Unless we have such serious skin in the game that we're like, oh, we're not getting that 50 grand back so might as well get on that fucking plane. And that ends up being the best thing in our life. So you're not hurting people when you make them have skin in the game. You're helping them show up when they have skin in the game. That's the second thing I would do. The third thing I would do is I would ask them what they need and then build it around that. Of course, keeping it aligned with what's a good product and, and not just over-serving for nothing. But too many times, no matter what your business is, you guys build this this Frankenstein, you're like, I know what they want. They want bolts in the ears and they want this thing to be seven feet tall and they want it to be strong. And, and, and then you reveal your Frankenstein to everyone. You're like, why is nobody like my Frankenstein? Because nobody wanted a seven foot tall dude with bolts in his ears. If you would have asked them, they would have told you exactly what to build. So I'd go out to them and ask them. I'm Kyle. Uh, I am grateful to be a sponge in a room full of knowledge. Um, so thanks to everybody. Um, I'm curious, I'm a new entrepreneur, I'm new to self-actualization, I'm working on all that. When was your aha moment? Was that in corporate, was it after? You know, where did that happen to kind of get you going? Because I feel like it's really helping me, but I'm just curious what your experience was with it. Congratulations, man. Um, I'll, I'll share my aha moment. I was in corporate America forever, working for the world's largest bank, and had a great career until the last recession hit and had to start completely over from scratch, literally as, as a person and financially, because we're living beyond our means and when the music stopped, had to start over. Yep, that was not the moment. That moment led me to take a partnership in a little startup mortgage brokerage at the time I called it four turds in a shop. And we grew that thing 
into a significant mortgage bank, lending $330 million a year of our own money in a time when everybody else was closing theirs. That wasn't the moment. I share those contexts because it was in that transition into entrepreneurship where I woke up and realized I needed to do something different because I really wasn't happy. And that something different revealed itself to me in a way that I didn't want to participate. There was this guy at the, the mortgage bank. He heard about this thing coming to town that he's been to before, and he swore by it. And it was called Landmark Forum. Anyone ever been to Landmark Forum? It's a three-day self-development get into a room of 50 people and really do some deep digging with, with a, a counselor that kind of leads it. I came home and I'm like, babe, I don't know if I want to do this or I don't want to do it, but I'm just kind of telling you about it. And she said, we're going. And deep down, I think I wanted her to say we're going, but I wouldn't have said we're going myself. Now, prior to this, I've done, I've done no self-development whatsoever. None. Zero. So we go to this weekend called Landmark Forum. It's Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. I get in there Friday. I was a very different person back then, so I'm just always telling the story the way it is. I get in there Friday, and what you have to do is, is you have to take turns getting up in front of the room and, and talking to this counselor, and, and they kind of undress you a little bit and, and get to the core real quickly of, of whatever ails you. And after about 10 or 15 people go, I'm like, man, these people are fucked up. I am so glad I'm not you guys. Right? Like, really judgmental. By the end of that weekend, I was the most transformed, reformed, brand new sights of, of how I viewed life type of individual you could ever imagine in terms of just a, a short 72 hours. That was the moment. I forgot the terminology you used, that it all changed. That was when I learned things like building stories and, and running rackets in your head and, and uh, that nothing has any meaning other than the meaning that you apply to it. I can't tell you how freeing all of that stuff was. And from that moment on, I sold out my shares to my partner because it was a very toxic partnership in the mortgage bank, and uh, that's when I came home. It's when Lori took off on the rocket ship. That, that weekend was probably the, the seed, the precipice for everything that you guys see today. That was probably the moment. Yeah, great question. All right, you guys, let's give it up for the one and only. It's over Chris already? Harder. Yeah. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Fast Foundations podcast. Check out our other YouTube videos. Make sure you subscribe here on YouTube or subscribe wherever you're listening. Check out the other videos because we give away all of this information, all of this great knowledge for free all the time here on the Fast Foundations podcast. And I want you to have access to that. And if you want to get in the room and experience some of this for yourself, best way to do that is go to fastfoundations.com. Apply for our mastermind. We do these events just like you just witnessed way deeper we go way bigger on all these events that's just one tenth of what it was like to be there 
Again, fastfoundations.com to join the mastermind or at least send in your application. Talk to you soon.